0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly, and joined with me is none other than Serge Boudreaux.
0: Shelly, it's so funny to see you on Zoom instead <laughs> of seeing you face to face because for the audience, Shelley actually came to my yeah. house for the first time ever and I've known Shelley for a really long time and we had well, a great Well, the first time
1: you let me in the door yeah. Let's first time be like, yeah, I've been to your house before, but it was dropping off at the front step and running away. <laughs> well, it was during the peak of COVID, it was, yeah.
0: but it was really good to spend a couple of hours with you and Me? having the girls meet you. Oh, they are so cute. Oh my gosh. So yes, I got to
1: meet the girls. It was just an absolute delight. And for anyone who's wondering, Serge's house is spotless. How he's got three little ones running around the house And his house is like pristine. I find it hard to
0: believe you've got three kids here. It was amazing. We cordon off different areas, right? Because I am a neat freak and they will blow Mm -hmm. everything up. Like you give them access to every room and everything will be a mess because Mm -hmm. they're kids. Like they're two and a half. That's what they do. But it's funny because when you came in, my wife came in a little bit later. She had gone out. And uh, when she came in, I think she was embarrassed because I hadn't put any clothes on Annabelle. (laughs) Like she was just in her diaper and I'm like, <laughs> I tried, but there's certain things that I just don't fight. She didn't want to put any clothes. She's not cold. And like, it's Shelly. who cares if she sees her. I know. In her
1: diaper? And it didn't even phase me in the slightest because as I have three of my own, but yeah. they're adults now, but it was such a breath of fresh air to be around little ones, their innocence and how cute they were. And uh, Jeannie's tiny little voice, she's <laughs> so cute.
0: And (laughs) Shelly gives (laughs) the best gift, okay? So you have to be friends with Shelly because then you have access (laughs) to these amazing gifts that she buys for your kids. So if you're not friends with Shelly, Just hook it up. Make her your best friend. (laughs) Talking about kids, you had big this week. I
1: really did. Holy smokes. Even though my boys are one year apart in age, they both graduated this year in 2021. Parker in the spring. And in the spring, they had no ceremony. They mailed you your grad certificate. I think a lot of students really felt badly. So what they did for the fall convocation, which is Chandler, my oldest, also graduated in the fall here. They sent you a link to a live stream and you watch the whole thing. There's no audience, you know, the Dean of whichever faculty gets up and they do a little speech and then they cross the stage. And so all you could hear is this, (laughs)
0: like
1: one person clapping. You can hear a few people back in the audience, but the audience is the other students. There is nobody in the whole place. And they just had a camera, they would announce your name and like what you graduated with. And then you just wave at the camera and Chandler had his eight seconds of fame. (laughs) And I have to say it was really emotional because for a graduate to not only continue during COVID go from his first two years on campus and his last two years doing it remote and, and he finished with honors and distinction.
0: Of course. I would not expect less of a child of Aww. Shelley Billinghurst, right? So, <laughs> congratulations. Thank and you. talking about family, it, it's yes. a perfect segue into the first. It is. Topic. Do you might first topic.
1: You? Yes, every day I'm heard something on the news about maybe five families that are the original titans of mega industry here in Canada. And one of them is the Rogers family and their telecommunications. The other is the Shaw family, which is also in telecommunications. Those are like cable TV providers and so on. Surge found this article and we were like, oh yes, how timely. And it's talking about the whole idea of when companies have decided to brand themselves as a family. You know, when it comes to family and your work, family and your real family, I I immediately think of if you've ever had to let somebody go and if all you've ever done is brand your workplace as we're family, what does that say to those that are left behind when you had to terminate an employee? When I'm talking to clients and they say, oh, we're like a family and I'm like, oh, cringe. That's wonderful. You know that they look out for one another and that they socialize together. Is that what you mean? Because how
0: do you handle it when you have to terminate somebody? And I think a lot of this is done with the right intentions. They're trying to mm. create a sense of belonging, uh, that we're all in it together. But it does cause some unintended consequence a lot of the time. And that's a perfect example. Like, you're not going to fire your brother or your sister Unless, real- you're well, unless you're the Rogers family. Unless <laughs> you're the Rogers family. You got
1: family. the Supreme Court of Canada playing referee on that one, Matt. But Holy it
0: shit. generally it's very rare. And a lot of it is family's family and work is work. I do not expect performance from my family. Uh, I expect something completely Mm, different. As a manager, as an owner, you will let go behaviors that are really detrimental because they're family. How do you performance manage someone when they're considered a family? And when you're having those hard Mm -hmm. conversations, it it just changes the dynamic completely. I think the intention is really to create that sense of belonging and creating that shared goal, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of leveraging family, I think you should leverage a tribe. Or my favorite, and it's one that I use all the time, is a sports team, right? Same goals, you're a team, you work together, part of your ideal is to make everyone better. But if you're not performing on a hockey team or a baseball team, there is going to be consequences. And if you were a family, sometimes you, you just let it slide by. Like, think about how many so times true. that so true. your family does something and you're like, oh, You'll well. forgive them and move on. <laughs> you forgive them and move yeah. on, but running a company, that's very challenging. The other aspect that I think you have to be very careful about, not every employee is going to want to blur those personal and professional lines, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they're not sharing information to their coworkers, their coworkers might think, well, we're all a family. Why aren't you sharing what's your problems at home or what they face It puts them in a really awkward position because I look at the people I work with. Some of them have been closest friends, but none of them have become my family in the long term because a work relationship is transactional as a family relationship is not transactional. There is a finite amount of time that you are going to be working somewhere. The other thing that really concerns me, Shelley, about treating Mm. employees or co-workers as family is there's a lot of research that shows that if you have an overzealous sense of loyalty, there is a much bigger chance that you are going to do things that are unethical to protect that family member. And like, what is the CEO? What is your boss? That's your father and your mother. A lot of companies that have that culture, there's a lot of unethical things that would usually come out or people would actually report it. But when you're a family, you won't do that, right? You're not going to report your brother to the police if he, you might, mm-hmm. but in a lot of cases, you're going to keep that under wraps. So that's another deep concern on that end as well. How do you performance manage someone when you don't yeah. want to strain that relationship? You've been talking about family and suddenly now you're talking to one of the employees and like, you need to improve this, 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 or there's going to be consequences And they're like, well, I thought we're a family. I can do whatever I want. So that's where I stand. I think there's way better ways to brand it. Every time I hear family, I cringe as well. Yeah, Work is not a family, but it can be a sports team or a tribe. A tribe. Yeah. Do you know, that was really
1: intentional on my part when I was branding higher value. and, And a lot of the infographics I built was all around the candidate journey of how do you find your tribe? How do you find people you want to be around each day? Because there's no denying that you will spend more time with the people you work with. Certainly pre-COVID, if you were in an office job, you're there with them for eight hours a day and only with your family for four in a day. So I get that it's meant to be used loosely, (laughs) but not literally.
0: Yeah. What you should do instead is call it a tribe or sports teams. You have a culture of empathy, collectiveness, belonging, and shared goals.
1: Yeah, I agree. That sense of community or common goal, I love that. Sports team, I don't know. There's some of us that didn't grow up with sports. Well, I but, played but, a lot of
0: sports and I see the correlation. Yes. Uh, so I, I see exactly.
1: For women who didn't play sports, though. So I'm going all woke on you.
0: So you're going. Uh, and the second <laughs> thing that you should do is clearly outline uh, a performance-driven culture. If you have really clear goal of what the outcomes and the expectations are going to be, that just creates yeah. a different culture. And the last point is have your company focus on a purpose of what they're trying to achieve. And well said. The yeah. just kind of slides back in that.
1: For sure. I'm repeating myself, but that is how you get a sense of common community and goals is this everybody's clear on where we're going so the message is let's do away with calling ourselves a family
0: i agree kind so of it's, cheesy anyways so the second thing i want to talk about is what is it Well, we talk a lot about recruitment in 2022. 2020 was really a defining um, moment for a lot of companies when it comes to what it actually is working there. And Mm -hmm. some companies treated it in a, a very progressive way, really proactive way. And some companies did not. But what you'll notice in employment branding, everyone is pretty much sharing the same type of info. We're a great place to work for diversity and inclusion. And the list goes on and on, but there's really no proof going into 2022 and what people are looking for. There's a couple of things that we need to point out. So yes, candidates are in the driver's seat, right? Like they have a lot more opportunities than there is actually jobs. People are competing. We've talked about that. We don't need to rehash that. But how do you stand out? And this is what candidates are saying they want to hear from you is, what did you actually do during the pandemic? How did you treat your employees. What happened to them? They want to know how your culture actually held up or how has it changed? And then also they're interested to know what your company is actually doing to have a more inclusive and diverse workforce. So everyone's putting that, but there's a couple of things. They want the proof and they don't want to hear it from you. They want to hear it from the employees. Well, yes, yep. so when yep. we're looking at the type of content that we need to create when it comes to employment brand and recruitment marketing in mm-hmm. 2022, we have to put that in perspective. And this is where you need to have your employees telling the stories in whatever form of communication. So this is a video or podcast or articles. How do you involve your employees in telling the real story? And show, as Shelly would say, show me the receipt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, this really reminds me so much of what Elena Valentine has been preaching for, what, five years? She built her entire company on yeah. storytelling and getting it's straight from employees and getting employees to talk about how their life has changed or the why of why they're working at your company. And so this is just more evidence of what Elena Valentine has always said, and that the authenticity of hearing it directly from someone who works there versus this controlled narrative that came from the top down. I, and I love the example here of every single company has a safety, is our number one priority. So tell me what exactly you did that ensures that you have a safe environment. What exactly did you do? Because to just simply have this top-down generic statement is so 1990. The same thing with the company statement about, we adhere to the laws of Canada that we will not discriminate based on your gender and the whole list goes on. So what? So what? It's fine to post that, I guess, and say that you won't discriminate, but that's not what people want in 2022. What have you done Like to create this? Show me the receipts.
0: Yeah. The biggest thing is promises need proof. And I don't blame the candidates or the future employees to ask for proof. So going into next year, I know we're all building our content calendars, how we're going to market, building out sections of our employment brand. And it's like, what do you need to do? And I think I mentioned one is they're telling us clearly they want to hear it from employees. No more of this corporate bullshit (laughs) messaging of your mission and your vision statement. No one gives a fuck about your mission or vision statement. I'll be completely frank. And if you think they do, you're being naive. Work is a transactional relationship. So me trying to make you richer is not one thing that I'm really concerned about in that sense. So here is what you need to do when you're planning this out in 2022. So promise need proof. Shelly, you nailed it. Storytelling is the way of the future when it comes to marketing and also recruitment marketing. I think we have an opportunity to really step up our game when it comes to telling the stories of those people that have been successful in their companies. We want to know employee stories of how they feel the company has kept them safe and they create a safe environment for them.
1: Like even the smallest stories and audience, if if you're thinking that we're advocating that your talent acquisition team needs a budget of a million dollars to do these videos. No, I would say this can be something so authentic as to simply to to sit down with an employee and have them tell you the story of when I realized that the pandemic wasn't going to be over in two weeks, the company sent me a gift card to Staples so I could go out and buy a proper chair so I could have a proper desk set up. And, and a story like that is proof that's proof. That's all you need to say, right? This this is an employee sharing their COVID experience versus my friend who they kept saying, we're not really sure. So there she was in her living room with her three screens set up on fucking TV trays and using her kitchen chair that you would normally sit at for 15 minutes while you're eating.
0: And And she's she's, probably working 12 hours a day on that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And they monitored her. Do you know that she had to keep a window open on her computer so they could monitor her and make sure that she was working and not taking um, six minutes too long on her lunch break. Oh my God, run the other way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, run the other way. So the second thing that candidates are looking for when they're looking at companies is, what is your flexibility? What's the work-life balance? And what are the hybrid work options? Because we're seeing a ton of ads out there that are saying remote. But then it's highlighted in the ad till we go back to the office. What exactly does hybrid or work-life flexibility or balance look like in your company with real employee stories? And the worst thing you can do right now, and a lot of companies are doing this, is saying nothing at all. If I'm looking at 10 job ads... And six have them, okay, this is how we work. This is what our our plan is for COVID after COVID. This is the people that will be going into the office. I'm going to look at those companies before I waste my time applying a uh, at other companies that I don't know. So tell those stories. And the last one, what is your company doing to create an inclusive and diverse work environment? Not just saying to say the statements that you mentioned, Shelly, what is a real story? Tell me Mm -hmm. the real story of what's happening. And again, if you don't have one, you don't have one. That's fine. Just don't make it up. Yeah, exactly.
1: Don't Don't get, don't hire actors or worse, Serge. I know this is your pet peeve you've said it a hundred times is please no stock images oh my gosh you know where you just plaster up these stock images of th- these models happen to be of you know diverse in how they look please if it's not authentically representing your organization in other words if you're joining a team say you're hiring for a tech firm and out of 100 employees 96 of them are men then don't Try and feature one or two women that are on the team. It is what it is, right? Be authentic. Because trying to force diversity and inclusion by cloaking what your culture really is, is only going to backfire.
0: Yes. How many stories do you have? I know I have some of when it comes to like photos you're hearing from the PR team or even marketing be like, oh, let's make sure we have Susie in there or let's make sure we have Jim because he's African American. There's so many of these stories that Which
1: in when I think of that, Serge, it just makes the problem all that much worse. It does. Because you've now not only singled this person out, but now you're gonna feature them. That is so wrong. On so many levels. But it goes back to something I know we have said time and time again, is that the person leading diversity, equity, and inclusion can't be you or me. No, Someone who's never had that lived experience. Put it that way. You can't have them heading up your marketing or even your employer brand on the topic of diversity. It needs to be someone with a lived experience and not someone who's appointed as a token of here's what it's like to work here.
0: A lot of companies do this is they automatically appoint who's head of HR or people in culture as the lead on diversity. And and that is the wrong approach because I come from a world of privilege. You do as well. We have not lived mm-hmm. in so I think that's a really good point. Closing off this subject, when you are looking at 2022 and how you're going to be different, how you're going to stand out, I think the key word in here is storytelling and storytelling, not by you, storytelling by your employees, hitting the key points, show proof behind your promises that you're giving in your employment brand.
1: That is the message for
0: sure. So Serge, one more topic to cover today. Can you
1: kick us off here with talking about employee referral programs? Everybody thinks they've got a new twist on referral programs. What are you hearing out?
0: Employee referral programs are a little bit of a passion for me because I've implemented a whole lot in my career and some Mm -hmm. have failed and some have been successful. So it opens up a lot of questions. Is there something new? Not really. There's new technology that you can leverage, but the key points of launching a referral program have not really changed. And I I did want to talk about this because I think there's key elements that we're all missing as talent acquisition professionals, as far as what you should be looking for when you're starting a referral program. Okay. And I'm going to start with this one is, and I see this with a lot of companies is, Explaining the job requirements to the people that you're asking right. <laughs> for a referral because there's a couple of downsides of getting too many referrals is They're just referring anyone that they think possibly could be a good fit. Even though they're a good friend, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good colleague, even though they were a colleague before, it doesn't mean this is the right environment and they'll be successful here as well. It's really important communicating what are the job requirements and what we're looking for in depth. So the referrals actually match what we're looking for. I'd rather get less. High quality than just like a non because in my commitments and I'll share this in, in the mm-hmm. next point is I'm communicating with everyone. If you're referring, I'm going to be talking to them, and if I have to do that for nine people who are not qualified in this environment, it's extremely strenuous. What's your overall thoughts there? As far yeah, as- so
1: I just want to jump in here on this in particular because this is the step that I would say most people forget. They roll out. Here's the money right? Like they're all about, here's how much we're going to pay for a referral where the real success is if you've taken the time to ensure that people understand what sort of jobs you're hiring for. Say you're hiring a software developer. I would bet that there would be a large percentage of your employee population that didn't even realize we hire those sorts of people. And so if you're just relying on these plain flat text-based job descriptions that the only purpose is to describe the work isn't going to help. Like, why would we have these jobs? Say your core business was manufacturing fertilizer for crops. Why would anybody think for a minute that you would even employ a software developer in order to ensure employees Truly understand the why behind it. It doesn't have to be all that elaborate. And I'm going to plug my favorite tool for doing this, and that's a Visi. Visi Recruiter has these beautiful job ads that aren't job descriptions, but taking a look at it, it's pictures. So you can figure out pretty quickly, oh, I get it. We need software developers, and here's why, and here's the highlights of it, right? Like, I think it's a really clever way to get employee referrals.
0: Yes, I agree. And you made a point there that mm-hmm. how are you communicating that you actually have jobs that are open and you're looking for uh, referrals? And this is where communication in different channels are critical. And the way I've done it is every weekly stand-up that they have, mm-hmm. they're communicating the open roles that we're actively recruiting for and giving some highlights of what those are. We also create a Slack channel that has all the roles that oh, we're smart. On it so that everyone has access to so communication is key. The second item I want to talk about, and this is where we drop the ball, like you wouldn't fucking believe, is keeping your employees updated. So we get the referral. Oh yeah, yeah. We go through the process, Mm -hmm. doesn't work out, and the employee never finds out until the actual until they have coffee with their friend. Yes, I get it. I'm just cringing just thinking
1: about it, Serge, because you're right. Part of the commitment is that acknowledging the person who made the referral and telling them, listen, called, talk to them. We both agree this isn't a fit because, oh, my God, how embarrassing would it be to refer your friend and then you hear nothing until you have coffee with them and they're like, yeah, thanks for nothing.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? mean? Like, oh, my God yeah no and i think this is one that i don't know a lot of companies that do this that they're communicating with the employee that referred what actually is the status and what i've tried to do and i haven't executed perfectly is almost every step i give them a heads up being like hey jim was great he's going to move to the second interview and then if we end up not hiring him or Mm -hmm. we're close to an offer i'll give them a heads up hey Thank you so much for the referral. We're going to be hiring Jim. The communication will help you tremendously getting that person to refer more people in the future because they know exactly how it's going to work and they just don't feel it went into a black hole. So I yeah. think that one is probably the most important as you're building a referral program and where people skip mm-hmm. is like, what's the communication with the person actually referring? For
1: sure. For sure. I've always been an advocate of not just money right? Like this is yep. not a get rich quick scheme for employees or a side hustle. It's also around how you communicate the program, right? Sometimes getting a thank you for referring is really all people were looking for. It's not always about money. Sometimes if you did actually get the two grand referral bonus, a big mistake, in my opinion, the companies make is paying it out at six months. That is such a mistake. If you've promised somebody that if you refer somebody and they get hired and you said it would be $2,000, fucking keep your word. Don't have strings attached. Like that is one way to kill the whole program or worse worse yet, oh my God, they got to chase down payroll to say, where's my money? Yes. How humiliating. Like we could do a great job through keeping them informed. This person got hired and we forgot to make that linkage back to payroll to ensure the employee got their money.
0: Those are really good points. And it's one that we see all the time, right? Was be referral is going to be paid in six months. And this is usually an HR type of approach, and we don't want to pay them until that employee has been here six months so we know oh. they've worked out. But in reality, the employee, the minute mm-hmm. that they gave us a referral, they have done their job. If we exactly. hire them, yes, it's our fault. It's not the (laughs) referees. It's our fault. If we did a bad hire for that particular person. So in my opinion, you should always pay them when the employee starts, you should at least get 50% of it, if not all. And I would definitely lean towards the all. And it brings another point that we've talked about as well. Like, do you offer money or don't offer money? I think if you have a good culture and you're hiring high-end roles, I don't think you need to give a referral bonus. What I've done at a company is I give them $100 to have a meal over Zoom together because it's a remote environment. Referee and the referral, when they start, here's $100, order, skip the dish, schedule an hour together, catch up, do whatever you want to do. It's not a a massive incentive, but it's something that kind of helps build a culture in a way, Mm -hmm. welcomes the person in organization. But other roles like drivers or high volume roles, I have nothing against doing a referral bonus if it's executed properly and you're paying them right away. I don't know where you stand about paying or not paying.
1: So I've actually got my feet firmly in the other camp surge because it gets mutated and you brought it up. I agree. It gets mutated because HR or the operations team start to stick their little fingers in it. And they're the ones that start dictating these clauses within the payout, which it's like popping a balloon. Like why bother? So I've always been in the opposite camp of no money changes hands because if people are referring because it's a good place to work it's fair pay we've got good leadership then they're doing it from the right place they're they're not doing it for the money they're doing it because they truly believe that their friends and family would enjoy working here so I've taken the opposite and taken the money off the table because it just gets fucked up. And it's blown up in my face every single time. There's always been a a hiccup of some sort. And it just it becomes a source of irritation. So rather, acknowledgement, thank yous, communication, people valued that way more.
0: I've done it both ways, because I think there is ways that you can do it, especially in a desperate type of situation that you need a lot of people quick. It's not ideal, don't get me wrong. But I know we all live in the real world and demands are coming. So It's not a bad thing to do a monetary. You just need your program to be really tight and you got to make sure you're paying them because to your point, if they're chasing payroll, I'll talk about a shit experience. The other thing that you mentioned, and I think this one is a critical point is acknowledgement, Mm -hmm. public acknowledgement that, Hey, Joe or Shelly is referring people that are amazing and calling it out to the whole Mm -hmm. company that this person is doing an amazing job at referring people. It's going to encourage other people to do it, but it's gonna keep encouraging that Shelly to keep referring people, she's getting a knowledge. So I think that's a good one. And I'm gonna drop one more point before we move on. Okay. The one thing that is still a massive challenge, and this is across the board, right? When it comes to application, We got to make sure that the user experience in our job application process is top notch. So if I'm going to refer my buddy to go work at my company and he has to take two hours to apply to this fucking bullshit process that's taking forever, my initial experience is going to be garbage. And and we've all heard those Mm. stories. Like They do it because they feel they've made a a commitment to the person that referred them that they would apply, but their first experience is like, this was horrible. So yeah, user experience when it comes to applying for a job is one of the most important items across the board for recruitment and talent acquisition professionals. And we're doing a horrible job at it. So it's even more critical with those referrals. If you start with those key points, I think you can launch a really exciting referral program. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different things you can do. But if you take those points in context, I think that's where you should start.
1: So I think everyone starts off with, let's throw money at it. What we're saying is, no, 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 no. There's much more things to think about. Yeah. Thanks, Serge. That was a really fun discussion around employee referrals. I think a lot of us really need those reminders. So,
0: yeah. Well, I pretty, think we're going to spend big. a lot of time going through referrals, different types of programs, like tactical items to as part of the podcast. But I think it's a good place to start. So, another informative episode Mm -hmm. of the Recruitment Flex. Shelly. what do you have going on for the rest of the week?
1: I'm sorry to say my old people in my life are needing my attention. So nothing exciting.
0: How about you? The young people in my life (laughs) need a lot of attention. We'll be heading out to the mountains this weekend, which I'm always excited about. But aside from that is keeping the lights on because recruitment is just insane right now. So I I do want to remind the audience, please do go listen to our interview with Rick McKee, where we talk about COVID mandates of vaccines and other items. I think it was a a really enlightening, but also gave us a a lot of answers that we really don't know. Like we're not legal experts. So do go listen to that one. Shelly, thanks again for being my partner in this audience. Have a great weekend.
1: Thanks, Serge do you love news about
0: linkedin indeed google and just about every other recruitment tech company out there hell yeah